This week, we're talking fine art and fast flat sixes with artist Nicholas Hunsinger. Nineworks Radio is your dedicated Porsche and car podcast, taking you closer than ever to the world's finest sports cars and the culture and history behind them. The show is brought to you by nineworks.co.uk, the innovative online platform for Porsche enthusiasts. Hosted by Porsche journalist Lee Sibley and 993 owner and engineer Andy Brooks, with special input from friends and experts around the industry, including you, our valued listeners. Andy, how are you? Good day, sir. I always say that, don't I? Good day, good day. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Yes, good day to you, good day to everybody listening at home. It's another episode of Nine Works Radio. We've got an awesome guest later on. But first, Andy Brooks, you have driven a very rare air-cooled 911 at the weekend, and I want to know all about it, please. I don't know if I knew how rare it was until I read up afterwards how rare it is. I think one of 24 I believe, or 25. It's a little bit sort of the the, the known history is a little bit vague, I, I guess, on STs. Yes, yes, STs, exactly. That yeah. the, the funny thing is a, a lot of people, even within like the enthusiast sphere, have never heard of an ST, let alone yeah. really know too much about it. Um, my own history or my own knowledge is a little bit patchy with the ST. Um, but yeah, you, you've driven a real one, which is unbelievable yeah pretty crazy unbelievable yeah um, so tell us all about it please uh tell you all about it um well it's a it's, it's a 2.4 this one um revs to eight eight or eight and a half thousand rpm i didn't know that at the time so i Christ. i probably only went sort of six six and a half keeping it safe um but boy does it rev yeah it's um noisy little thing I was, my ears were ringing. I, so I drove it back from Box and Gas, um, which happened on Sunday and drove it back down here for, for the owner. Um, we had to get round Winchester because there was lots of traffic. So it's quite nice. We actually came down through the Salisbury way. So I got to drive it on some sort of winding roads rather than just on the, uh, on the, the dual carriageways all the way back. So yeah, it was nice to, nice to have a little run out in it. A proper um, roads for the car, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely proper roads for the car. Um, well, I mean, it was it was built in 1970, so it's a, as old as me, which is just nuts, absolutely nuts. Um, and what does it drive like? Um, unbelievable that it's that old in that, you know, it's that powerful. 272 horsepower, I think, is the, the quoted figure. Uh, which just sounds crazy, doesn't it, for a 2.4 of that era? Um, so engine amazing, gearbox I I would say is um, different because I think that's the first um, 915 gearbox that I've driven. So took a little bit of uh, getting used to, um, but but fine. You know, got used to the dog leg because it's a five speed with the okay, yeah. dog leg. Um, brakes were amazing. Um, suspension was. Yeah, always alive um yeah and steering alive not heavy at all so yeah didn't you know didn't think oh i wish i had power steering so yeah just an amazing little car really and the yeah. details just looking around the car um 
all the little bits and bobs um that yeah yeah amazing history yeah so i mean again like the the numbers is kind of ludicrous on them in terms of like build numbers so it's it's a it's a well, it's a genuine kind of sports purpose car i suppose it was it was a yeah. 911s originally correct um, yeah unlike say like the other things like the tr which was obviously if, that they took the 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 t shell first of all but this was the s yes yeah yeah and then uh, i think it's two inch wider arches on all four corners that was allowed by the regs um for the particular race series that this sort of was made for i believe yes yeah, yeah. and that's it and, that, and they uh, i believe and again my own knowledge here is patchy but i mean each st is is or can be different to the next because they Absolutely, were built yeah. specifically according to the sports purpose or different uh, elements of the sports purpose manual they're built specifically for different disciplines yeah um, and, and different races so like no two are the same which probably adds to um the the reason as to why perhaps information is hard to come by them or enthusiasts haven't readily heard about them because yeah. you might ordinarily think well is it real as an yeah. example you know um but yeah you know absolutely they are so yeah like 911s as a base um it's interesting bit- so it's got 911s on the back it doesn't say st okay, i guess that's yeah. original and um, little details that i noticed was like the 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 porsche uh logo on the back is um you know still got the holes for where the porsche logo would oh. have been fitted if it was a a normal 911s yeah but it's got a transfer across it. Um, it's not got the horn grills on the front. I think it's all, you know, the weight is, is it? Un- well, it's, it's one of the lightest 911s ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's even um, got it, all the steel, sm- um, thinner gauge, isn't it? Than the standard car. It's not yeah. just a case that they've taken bits off or put lighter seats in. Yeah. The actual build was, um, was a, it was a thinner gauge. Yes. Yeah. There is. And, and this is it. It's a, I mean, yeah, seriously, seriously cool car. Um, you know, right up there, I suppose, in ter- right up there with like the, the 67 911R in terms of ultimate 911, particularly from the air cooled yeah. uh, era in terms of, you know, power output, but weight as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what do you think power output? It wasn't until, really, until you know a standard Porsche 911. It wasn't until the 993 that you had 270 horsepower in a, a Carrera two. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, yeah. 25 in, years ahead in in power. In yeah. Effect. In, in in a car that weighed you know south of 900 kilos, it's yeah. it's utterly, utterly, utterly ludicrous. So yeah. Um, you know, Andy, Christ, I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm so jealous. That's uh, really cool, mate. Really cool. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it it's interesting actually because um later on in this um this episode we're talking to Nicholas, and uh, he's driven some amazing cars. Um, and it was quite interesting what he said about um what was the car that he said that he. You know, he actually thought he'd take it back. Oh, it was Steve McQueen's car. You know that he made sure that he took that one back. Yeah, and it was quite interesting when I was driving that. I actually, you know, managed to drive it quite—I wouldn't say aggressively, but you know, I, I was able to put my foot down. And I, I did divorce myself from its rarity in some ways because I, you know, somehow I managed to do that and actually have a really nice drive of it and not feel, yeah, too afraid of it. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Titanium kahunas, my yeah. friend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There yeah. was uh, there was one point where I was um, chasing Paul in the nine five nine. He was doing some uh, aggressive overtakes, shall we say, on the on the road down from Salisbury, and uh, yeah, I, I went for a couple as well. And uh, <laughs> looking back on it, maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, yeah. To, little... to be fair, with a 959 and a Conda Green ST, you two just blend in with all the rest of the traffic oh, anyway. So, yeah, yeah, you'll, yeah. Be, you'll be fine. Yeah. No, mate, that's that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, what, what an experience you've had there. Yeah, and, um, and thank you to Paul again for the for the drive. Yeah. yeah. Much appreciated. Absolutely tops. Um, yeah. All right, shall, shall we uh, get on to guesting? Yes, I think we should. Yeah. yeah Let's this, get Nicholas on. Yeah. So um, it'd be worth just kind of divulging as to kind of who uh, Nicholas uh, Hunziker is, first of all, really. Yes. Um, I mean, it's it, Nicholas going to be joining us from uh, his home in, in Torrance, uh, Los Angeles. So it's nice to be kind of hopping over the pond for the first time this series and Indeed. chat to a guest over there. Um, yeah. So Nick is a fourth generation fine artist whose uh, talents and passion have kind of found him uh, roaming the Porsche sphere for a number of years now culminating in in kind of many awesome friends and and many awesome cars driven he's, he's definitely a, a porsche file himself oh, um, so such a huge enthusiast i'd say the definitely. depth of enthusiasm yeah yeah Brilliant. you know and, and and that's that's professionally and personally as well you know absolutely like porsche owner for you know one each of air cooled and water cooled among other things um so yeah it's a it's a really really interesting chat so uh yeah buckle up and and be prepared for a good listen i'll say Nicholas Hunziker, thank you so much for joining us on Nine Works Radio, live from Torrance, you were saying. <laughs> yes, welcome. Hello. No, welcome. Hello. Uh, welcome. <laughs> and look, this is going to be a, a really, really interesting uh, conversation. There's lots to discuss. Um, we've got something coming up uh, this weekend for you as we record this uh, on a Wednesday. By the time our listeners hear it, the, the weekend would have just happened. Um We'll touch on that shortly in a minute, but it seems that you have driven a lot of cars in the Porsche world through uh, your amazing talents as a fine artist, met some incredible people as well, have some amazing memories and stories to share. I think as a, as a kind of top level before we go into all of that, it would be awesome to kind of establish how your career as, as a fine artist started, particularly with this reference to automotive. Um, how did it start? It, it started... You know, the painting started as a, as a, as a, I guess, a hobby because um, at the time my wife and I had moved for the, you know, we were in an apartment. We have, we moved into a house. So we, I had, we had more wall space and I wanted to, to hang up some um, automotive art that interested me. And I, I basically couldn't find anything that I liked. So I decided to create my own and, um, as you know, you may know, or some of you listeners may know, I'm a fourth generation fine artist, and I, I I'm, I'm I, I always liked my grandfather's style. He painted in the, uh, I mean, he was active, you know, in the 1920s to 1940s, 50s. Um, I think he died in the, he died in the 80s, um, and so he painted uh, in the Art Deco uh, poster style. That some of his work, some of his commercial work. Uh, he was uh, employed by a shoe company called Bali in Switzerland, B-A-L-L-Y. And he would, you know, paint these advertising posters where you'd have a girl on top of a mountain or, you know, kind of like travel posters, yeah, kind of yeah, like you selling the romance, kind of almost like the early lifestyle stuff. 
And so I always uh, liked that type of style, but I couldn't really find any car stuff that existed. I mean, my grandfather did paint the Bugatti poster in 1932. But again, you know, you're looking at stuff from the 20s and the 30s, which was kind of not necessarily the cars that I was into. Um, (laughs) So so that's when I decided to kind of why not paint, you know, cars in that style. And so that's how it started. So I I painted, I think... um, three four paintings and i sent them to her um at the time he wasn't a friend yet just someone i knew um um in his name was marco marinello in switzerland at 11 parts you may have heard of him he's an author um and he deals in you know rare cars and rare parts so if you need a 917 engine or a camshaft for a 908 he would be the the person to go to or uh, you know if you want a 550 spider um I don't know, rear rear bonnet or something. Yeah. And so I just sent it to him and said, hey, you know, you, you know a lot about these things. What do you think of this? I painted this for my house. And he said, oh, this is great. Um, I think I want to buy them. And I said, okay, um, sure. And he made me an offer and we agreed. You know, I don't remember exactly what the price was. It wasn't, it wasn't nothing, but it wasn't, you know, it's, it's not what, 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 what I'm doing now. But it was a start. Um, and so I sent him, you know, the four paintings and I think he was going to gift one to Claude Picasso because he had a, 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 you know, he was always into 550 spiders and early Porsches. And so, yeah, so I, I painted four sold for still didn't have any art from my own walls. So I just kept on painting. And then I think the second client I got was, um, someone wanted to buy a painting for their brother. And they and they, I think I sold the 9083 painting for the Targa Florio 1970. And as it turns out, the brother is a famous comic in America who owns the car. And um, yeah, so from there, it just kind of like you know spiraled. It got bigger and bigger. Um, and you know, 16 years later, you know, here we are. Um, so I did. You know, we started out in the living room, um, just painting and now I'm painting in a studio. So um, yeah, that's pretty much how, it, that's how it started. Um, <laughs> it sounds, it sounds pretty idyllic to me, kind of infusing a talent with something w- w- with an interest, you know, it's kind of something that everybody would like to do, but not everybody um, kind of gets the opportunity to do that, you know, and right. do it so well. Yeah. To be, you know, in a way, um, I mean, this was pre-diagnosis, you know, because um, I suffer from, um, quite severe ADHD hyperfocus, um, amongst other things. And so, um, I think, you know, nowadays the way I look at it is that it, the path that I took was where I ended up, you know, coupled between my, my, the way my brain is wired and my upbringing, it's, it was really the only path to kind of not survive, but to, you know, kind of do something with my life in a way that, um, because you know, before I was painting full time, I was um, I was in I was employed as an art director, creative director, and I was directing TV commercials and writing TV commercials. And um, you know, it wasn't it was okay, but the problem was going to the office. You know, having dress codes and telling having bosses and <laughs> having people tell you what time you're supposed to show up or what to wear. You know, those kind of things just it just didn't work. So sooner or later, I think. Um, Especially nowadays, I, I, you know, I, there's no way I would survive an environment with, with, you know, the way 
culturally how everything has changed. Yeah. So um, I think, yeah, I mean, having had, I guess, what you call the talent and and, and combining it with the interest, it, I think it just lucked out. It just worked out. For sure. It's important in, in any environment to give yourself the platform in which to um, to feel comfortable and to excel, particularly in the creative sphere, as, as far as I can see. So I suppose kind of in, in doing that, as you kind of say, maybe it's helped the stars align in that, that sort of sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, go too much in, uh, you know, start the ground, uh, you know, at the beginning of my life. But um I think the creativity to me has always been the escape or the thing that kind of kept me alive or not alive, but kept me going at all times. Um, and, and especially, you know, following rules has always been difficult just because um, it's not that I don't want to follow rules, but it literally comes down to that. You, you, that I'm not able or not capable of understanding rules and retaining rules, you know, because if you have a very bad, um, memory or short-term memory, um, it, it becomes quite confusing after a while to, to, to remember, you know, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. And in coupled with hyperfocus, you, you kind of, um, your brain doesn't necessarily pick, sorry, you don't necessarily pick the topics or the, the interests that you can actually focus on. So it's almost kind of like you're being steered by your, by your brain in a way, you know? So, that's how we, you know, my, we, my perception of time is, is basically, you know, is, is now or not now. That's the only two things I have in my brain. So that's, you know, which leads to procrastination, which I know a lot of people can identify with because it's either I have to do it right now or I don't have to do it right now. And there's no in between, unfortunately. Mm. And so a lot of these things that um, the creativity, I think in my, in my, luckily in my case ended up helping me, you know, do, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess, you know, have a somewhat of a, a norm or become some of a normal human being where I can participate in, in, um, you know, in, in every, in everyday life and, and be part of society. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know, maybe this sounds a bit weird, but I think, um, you know, people with my affliction, um, a lot of times they they're prone to to perhaps be incarcerated or, um, you know, depending on what what kind of uh, um, uh, what do you call it um, socioeconomic background you have, you know, because some of the symptoms of 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 my brain disorder, you know, are um, you know I'm I'm not risk averse. Um, I'm you know impulse control is quite bad. Um, you, you tend to kind of, you know, follow your interests, you get lost in time yeah. and, and you latch onto things. So you can see how, if you latch onto the wrong things or to the wrong activity, you can quickly, you know, um, get off the correct path. Yeah. And so, uh, luckily in my, in my case, uh, creativity really helped me, um, you know, find a path, you know, first when, you know, I was in advertising for six years, um, and, and now with, with, the, with, with painting. It's, so it's, I, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, yeah, per perfectly, perfectly. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's really interesting when you were saying about your your you know your affliction, and um, I think there's lots of people in the car world. Um, I don't know if it's something to do with you know, the type of people that we are. Um, I'm 
quite um, dyslexic and I'm sure there's other things going on as well. But I'm sure there's lots of people in the car world that enjoy cars and working on cars and you know, being creative around cars because they they somehow join up all of these people that are a little bit different. Um, right. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. No, I do I, because I mean, lots. you know, we, we kind of la- uh, we la- we I mean, in advertising, it was the same thing because you know, advertising. I mean, you know, I worked for a corporate. I worked. I was at Saatchi and Saatchi, so that's a, a corporate company, and you yeah. know, our clients were Toyota and ESPN and Procter and Gamble. So these are, you know, serious big, people with ties client. and suits. Yeah. Yeah. And and so we always laughed at you know all the misfits by def- by. Uh, kind of by default, they ended up in the creative department because this was really the only place where we could still kind of partake Flourish. because, you know, but you had to give us a ping pong table and a fridge and, and, you know, a pool table and, and, and no dress code and, and no timetables and no, no spreadsheets. Otherwise we wouldn't have been able to, to just survive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how it is now, but that's how it was when I was there. And so, yeah, so by default, we kind of, if you had a brain like ours, you kind of, that was the only outlet you had was to end up in a bullpen in a, at a, at a, I mean, just let's say in, in the advertising world, right? You, you yeah. wouldn't end up as an account director, um, you know, writing a conference report um, notes or something. And so I think in a car world, I think, yeah, you end up with a lot of people who are, um, who, who get into the hobby because of their interest and they also excel you know, because of maybe tenacity, interest, they figure things out in themselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, same project focus as well. A very project focus. And also very much, you know, if you look back at the history of, of engineering in cars, all the inventions that came a lot of times, you know, when you, when you're an inventor in a way, you have to be a rule breaker because if, if you're not an inventor, you think, well, um, everyone else has done it the way it's, you know, it's done it before. Let's just keep doing it that way. Yeah, and if it yeah. breaks, it breaks. But the inventor is always the one who goes like, "No, wait a minute. There has it's to be different a different way. way of doing this." And I think I'm convinced that most people who who kind of, you know, who who can't stay in the box, kind of have a same type of way their way, uh, same same type of way their um, their brain is wired, and that kind of, um, you know, that's that's how these people excel because um, they kind of. They go against the grain, against you know what other people tell them. You know you can't turbocharge, or you can't build a rotary, or you, you put the engine in the wrong place. You know, but in a way that kind of leads to all, all the interesting stuff. Well, look, uh, Nick, your kind of career, but particularly kind of from a Porsche focus. I mean, it's nothing short of fascinating. Just in terms of um, just looking here, you know, you've been fortunate to get behind the wheel of the following Porsches, and the list is remarkable. Um, I thought I'd driven every. 911 or kind of pretty much every Porsche out there but I think I think you trump me good sir so just for the benefit of the listener I mean we've got pretty much any 356 901 904 GTS on track I mean an SCRS there's 21 of those on the planet a 67 911R there's less of them uh, a 959 on the street and track uh, I loved as well uh, the uh, Mulholland Singer Commission oh, driven on Mulholland great. Highway Fantastic. Yeah. so I mean I hope there's a book coming <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope you took some photos. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there is a book coming. 
but not necessarily about all the cars I've driven. It's it's uh, maybe we can talk about it later what the book is about. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah without, maybe without, that's the second book. <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know, I'd, I'd buy it. I'd read it without a doubt. So I mean, you know, how how on earth do those sort of opportunities come around? And also out of that list, and maybe others that we've not mentioned, and and the list is sizable for those listening at home. You know, what are some of your kind of most favorite memories of driving these cars? Um. I mean, I think, you know, in the beginning, again, you know, I mean, if, if, I, if I could say, oh, you know, here's how you do it, and, and <laughs> these are the steps you take, I would be lying, because I think a lot of my life, it's almost kind of be, it's almost, you know, you kind of just end up in these places, and I can't really tell you the steps to take to end up in these places. So, um, that, yeah, there have been a lot of experiences where, you know, you, I don't know, you go to an event and before I know it, it's like, hey, can you drive or can you can you do this real quick? And a lot of it is like that. And obviously, um, a lot of the exposure to some of these cars comes through my clients or former clients or you know existing clients who have you know sizable car collections. And yeah, they will say, hey, you know, do you want to, you know, do you want to drive? I, I I don't really. I don't go about, I don't want you to get the idea that I go about, you know, pestering everyone. Can I have a ride? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure um, you've earned it. <laughs> I mean, you know, nowadays I, I, I kind of, um, there are some things that I do where if the, where if the um, opportunity comes up, I will trade for mileage. So for instance, um, I, I'm sure he doesn't mind me saying so, but um, um, Dean Lanzante, you know, who builds the tag nine thirties, he builds oh, yeah. the turbo project with the with the f1 turbo engine so when i sold him a painting i gave him a discount but i think um i asked for 25 miles in the 930 tag <laughs> <laughs> that's a good deal that's amazing amazing so, um so i you know and and over the years I've, I've done quite a lot of trades um and so sometimes little things like that will come up where i say okay you know what you know you tell me a good story why you need this painting and why you 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 know I need to take some money off, but then I'm taking a couple of laps and whatever is standing next to you, you know. So I think sometimes sometimes that happens too, and yeah. and oftentimes, um, yeah, you know, it's just the places you are, or or just you know, some, sometimes it's a junket, or you you know, you're being hired kind of to go somewhere and meet people, or you know, those kind of things, or you know, yeah. some of it has also been with filming. You know, we were. Uh, filming some things and so you end up driving cars and so yeah again i can't really tell you exactly you know uh, <laughs> yeah. you should you should do these three <laughs> things and then you will end up driving a 918 with mark weber so i, I don't know you know it just kind <laughs> of happened so is is there a, a particular car or experience or memory of a car that you're pretty sure you're going to be dining out on for, for the rest of your days um, because the list of cars is awesome yeah, you know what? I mean, it's weird. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of of, of modern cars, just in general. You know, mm -hmm. like like I, I mean, and this just sounds weird to say that you know that I, I don't want a 918, but I, I think it's a great track car. I don't think it's a great street car, yeah. but to to have to have been um, at, at one point, uh, Mark Weber gave me a, a lap, and you know we weren't going. I mean, I think it was it was a hot lap, so maybe he's going maybe eight tenths um, at Virginia International Raceway, and we had the full track. And when he drove, you could tell, okay, something slightly different is happening here because I've been in cars with really good drivers, and I've been, you know, I race myself, um, and I don't want to, you know, denigrate any other drivers I've been with, but 
I, he did some things that I just, uh, it just felt a little bit different. And at the time you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then afterwards you realize, oh, I see what you're doing. You know, he's rotating the car before he gets to the turn. Most people rotate the car into the turn, but he'll, he'll set up a car at speed. Um, and then, but it, so you, it feels like you're turning in too early, but he's actually not turning in. He's just rotating the car early. So by the time you get there, you hit the apex and then you can just, you know, put your foot down. So little things like that were the very first time he did it, I go like, wait, you know, maybe he Whoa. doesn't know the track. It's like, no, no, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and so, some, so little things like that to me, that was, that was an experience where um, I just felt like, okay, yeah, I can see now why, you know, he spent all these years in formula one and yeah. Well, um, good. Yeah. And um, actually my wife tells, it's a true story. My wife tells the story because I came back from that and I was quite depressed and she says, what is the matter? And I said, this really sucks. Because, can I say that word in on, on your archives? Of course you can. I said, this really sucks. I'm never going to be as good as Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, I mean, um, that, <laughs> and, you know, just because I felt like, wow, okay, that's a different, that's a different, you know, just a, something on a different planet or whatever you want to call it, you know, just a little thing. So I think from an experience standpoint, um, you know, and I wasn't even driving, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I followed him in the, in the Carrera G he was in, I was in the 19, 918. He was in the Carrera GT and he gave it the beans because it was his first time. He really got to experience that car on the track. And obviously it's, it, you know, it's not a great feat to keep up in a 918, such, such a, such a quicker car, but even then you could, you could tell what he was doing, you know, just yeah, yeah. how he rotates yeah, yeah. the car. It's yeah. just, it's very, very interesting that, yeah. um, um, you know, I almost forgot that, that I was driving an 918, you know, cause I was, I was just, just mesmerized watching him. Um, <laughs> do you think, and also, he, do you think he went home that night and said to his wife, I've, I've met Nick and yeah, I'm, I'm a bit down because I know that I can't paint as well as Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I highly doubt it. I mean, he was, he's super nice. You know, we had dinner and um, he was super, super nice. And I was asking, you know, asked him a lot of questions and he was super patient and he's actually quite a fun, super funny guy and very, very interesting guy. I think, he, I mean, you know, I don't know too much about him, but he, you know, sometimes you meet people who, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a one track mind, you know, they're whatever they're into, they're quite into that thing and they, they can't maybe not relate to other things, but yeah. he seems to have a lot of different interests and in, in a pretty full life. And so he's, um, you know, he's quite, quite a smart, smart, astute guy. Um, so very interesting to talk to in general. Um, and I, and, you know, I did ask him about, you know, certain things like racecraft and little things, and little tricks. And he was, you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, super nice guy. Um, you know, again, I've met a lot of a lot of other racers, and you know, they they were all interesting as well. But if you if 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 I had to pick a conversation or something that I could relate to on a different level, then I think Mark was was super interesting to meet for sure. Cool. It's great. It's great feedback. It definitely it touches on something else that I wanted to ask, really, which was, of course, you know, half, half of it is the cars and, and half of it is the people. And, uh, you know, again, through um, your your talents and, and kind of our our passion that we all share, you, you've you've met some fantastic people. And, and I, I see, you know, Brian Redmond's on there. Who, you know, what an affable affable guy he is and, and a fantastic storyteller as well so i can imagine that would have been a, a brilliant occasion you know you say you've yeah known him since 2007 yeah uh, brian's super nice i mean like you said 
um, very, you know, very down to earth, very dry, you know, British sense of humor. <laughs> if I may, I will, I will, I'll, I'll probably tell you a Brian Redman story that he hasn't told, um, just because, you know, most of his stories are kind of car based. But um, you know, during during Hurricane Dorian, he was actually in the Bahamas, and so they actually went missing. And um, all the houses where they were staying at a friend's house, and it was the classic. I mean, classic, you know, like the news footage where every house was, um, there was like, I don't know, up to the, you know, like if you had a two-story house, the first level was just underwater and there were boats turned over everywhere. I mean, so for a couple of days, they, they didn't know where him and Marion were. And um, I was in contact with James and I asked him, you know, I said, you know, if, if he'd heard about his dad and he says, no, we don't know where he is. You know, we, I mean, we know where he was at the house, but we can't get in touch. All the phone lines are down, you know, the cell towers don't work, nothing works. Um, and so, so I, 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 I talked to uh, one of my buddies, uh, Marshall Pruitt, you know, who's a writer and you might know him from, um, he's a photographer and, and writer. He, he does a, a podcast as well. And I told him, Hey, listen, maybe you could get the word out, you know, cause he, he still writes and he put it on the news writer, you know, that Brian and his wife are still missing in the, in the Bahamas. And then um, somehow it's a kind of a convoluted story, but you know, someone's neighbor was going to the Bahamas um, all the time um, on, on, on religious, um, what do you call it? Not crusades, but there were, there were, um, um, what do you call that when you're um, maybe a pilgrimage or? pilgrimage? Yeah. Yeah, let's call it a pilgrimage. And so anyway, so they said, my neighbor goes there all the time. I think they're okay because, um, you know, everything in that area only flooded up to the first level. So if they're on the second level, they should be okay. So I got back to James and, um, you know, we talked a little bit. And so finally, somehow at the end of the day, the story was that they were able to locate someone who worked at the Coast Guard and they organized a helicopter. They were able to fly by and hopefully they would find him. So, okay. So actually the funny part of the story is when they did, when the helicopter did finally find their house, you know, they gave them the coordinates. So they flew to check if they were there. Brian and Marion were on the, um, on the second level of the house upstairs, the first level was completely underwater and they were sitting on two chaise lounges and grilling um, his little sausage while sunbathing. And then, you know, James said he talked to his dad and his dad just said, well, we, you know, panicking wasn't going to do anything. So we just took the food upstairs because everything flooded downstairs and there was a little grill. So we decided to have a little cookout and we can't really do anything besides wait. So that's what they did. Yeah. So they were, <laughs> they were on the upper deck having a little barbecue while the helicopter came to rescue them. I'd, uh, so, I'd, I'd like to argue that's typically British, but for somebody like Brian, who's broken so many bones in, in his body throughout his career and suffered so many kind of horrific injuries through racing. It's, right. um, you know, he strikes me as not a lot, not a lot of phases him. And, and funny, you mentioned that Nick. So um, Brian at the time was writing a, um, a year long sort of guest column series for us in total nine 11 magazine. Um, 
so we had obviously a similar period of worry where we couldn't get through to him. Um, the ghost writer was, was kind of trying to get hold of him to have a chat. And obviously we'd seen the news. Um, yeah, we, 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 we didn't hear how he and Marion were discovered. To be fair, so, <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, we, we were like equally relieved obviously when we found out they were okay. But um, yeah, as, as you say, now what a fantastic storyteller. I mean, and, you know, uh, speaking of broken bones, when I first met, no, actually, the second time, uh, the first time we, you know, spent a little bit more time together was when I went to my first rent sport. So that was 2007 in Daytona. Um, and he had a cast on his right hand. And I asked him what happened. He goes like, well, it was his granddaughter's birthday party. And they were at a roller rink. And he had never been on roller skates before. And of course, he's, he saw all these 10 and 12 year olds zipping around. So he goes like, I'll have a go. And everyone tells him, you know, don't put on roller skates. You don't know what you're doing. And he says, I don't, you know. So, of course, Brian puts on a set of roller skates and he takes one step, whoops, falls down, breaks his wrist. <laughs> so he's now driving it at the uh, rent sport. I think he drove, I mean, you know, as he does, he drove a bunch of cars, nine, 962s, 917s, 908s. Um, we're at the full course at Daytona. His right hand is in a cast. I don't mind. I don't think he'll mind if I tell you the story now, but he drove every car shifted with his left hand wow. on the Daytona banking one-handed. And when it comes to shifting, he would just hold the string wheel with his knee, shift down, double clutch real quick, banging the gear, and then grab with the left hand, keep driving. Wow. And, <laughs> and, you know, that's fine. And I asked him, so, okay, what's more dangerous, roller skating with 10-year-olds or spa <laughs> in the rain in the 917? Yeah. And it One turns hand. out <laughs> roller skating is more dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, that's quality. Um, yeah, look, I, I just I want to bring the conversation back to your artwork, sure, Nick. Sure. So, um, I mean, you know, you have presented uh, Dr. Wolfgang Porsche with your artwork on behalf of uh, PCA Porsche Club America, what an unbelievable experience that must have been. Yeah, I was quite chuffed to be, to be fair. Um, <laughs> um, because, you know, at first it was, uh, you know, we want to, could you do, you know, we want, we're looking for a gift for, for, for a guest from, from Germany. And I'm so yeah, sure. And then once I found out who it was, I go like, okay, you know what? Um, I'll, 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 I'll come for that one, you know, you know, and actually not, oh, perhaps they did. They asked me, they thought maybe I should introduce them, but either way it was, it was, it was really interesting. Um, again, you know, you hear so much about these people, but he was actually, you know, he was really interested. He was very, very appreciative. Um, and, and, it, you know, you never know how these people react when you meet them for the first time or, you know. Um, but, yeah, he, he was he was he was quite, um, you know, unless he's a he's a he's a world class actor. I felt that he he, he was appreciative. Um, so, it, no, it was it was very super nice to meet him. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm kind of lost for words because, you know, we, we just we spoke just a little bit, you know, spent a little bit of time and, you know. But yeah. Um, no, when, yeah, he's when when was it, Nick? Sorry. What, oh my what god! Was, what was the uh, artwork? <laughs> I think it was the artwork for one of the works reunions. So it had a bunch of different cars on the front. You know, it looked kind of like remember there was this Porsche commercial a long time ago where all the cars were driving in a desert. You had all these different generations of cars oh, yes, coming yeah. towards you. So I think in the center, there was a Cayman R and then there was like a 356 and a 914 and a, 
I don't know what else, you know, like a, a, a maybe even a, a modern car, um, obviously a 911, you know, so they were all kind of like, like almost like an armada coming towards you. Um, and then the, the, the background was, was um, Monterey, you know, with kind of the, 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 um, the, the tan ochre colored um, uh, sunburned grass with the blue sky and the clouds and all that stuff. So it was, it was, it was, I mean, it was a fantasy piece, but I think, um, it, it kind of, um, at the time, the, the reason I did that piece was when the, for the very first works reunion, which was kind of the, the big event. It's a, it's a big national PCA event opposite of the Porsche parade, mm. you know, cause mm. a lot of the, it was probably like it is in, in the UK, a lot of the uh, Porsche, um, club events, you know, you have the national events and then you have the, the, the regional events. And I yes, think, yeah. uh, at the thing works reunion was their second big event, I think. Um, with the Porsche parade. Um, I think they had an escape event as well. I don't know if they still do that, um, but yeah. So that was for Porsche club. And actually, interestingly enough, I met uh, my friend um, at that event um, who you may know, he designed the, the Porsche Boxster. Uh -huh. Yeah, Mr. Larson. Yes. Excellent. So Grant and Grant was there um, giving a gift on behalf of Porsche to the PCA. So of course, you know, we felt kind of like the, the two dancing monkeys, but it was nice that, you know, we got to spend some time because we were, you know, he was, he was presenting, I think as he did a sketch, like a, a, a sketch study of a, of a boxer that they gave to the PCA. And then, so this was kind of the gift exchange and we were the, the two hired hands. Um, but yeah, so again, that was, you know, cause I, I, obviously I think we have um, maybe it's not, not too much similar work, but I, I guess maybe a similar uh, background or, or, or mind, you know, when it comes to these things. So I guess in a weird way, we both feel like the outsiders, you know, at an event like that, you know, because yeah. we're obviously not boardroom material. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure he doesn't mind me saying that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so look, with, with the artwork and, and, you know, with your kind permission, we'll, we'll maybe um, share some of your videos on our uh, Instagram pages. Sure, absolutely. Uh, over, over the next week or so but i think it's uh, for, for those listening at home um your kind of artwork is known for uh, high contrast bold use of background color the inclusion of topography coupled with dynamic car angles i think is kind of your self-described um way to spot one of your paintings right so, yeah i mean go ahead well no no go on you i'd like to hear what, what you had to say to that oh no i i think um i don't know what your question was but um, uh, to my mind, you know, I think when, when I, I think a lot of people always ask me, you know, why, or, or you know, what's the reason for, for the growth or why, you know, um, I don't want to, you know, say why you're so, so successful because that sounds daft, but you know, you get a lot of questions like that. And obviously I can't pinpoint it, but I think one, one reason might be that you can, as a viewer, you can identify one of my paintings, like you said, from from a, from a, from a from a quite from a good distance away, yeah. you know. It's and got I think that style, isn't it? yeah, I think that helps me. Um, it, it's kind of like a branding thing, you know, because there and, and I don't want to mention any names, but there's lots of different artists who kind of paint in a similar vein, and so you kind of you you might not even know who they are. Not that um, they. I mean, the casual observer might not, might not know the difference, you know. And I think, I think if one thing that has helped me is that I found my own style quite early on, 
Um, and I think that is uh, an important aspect of, of you know, of, of having a career in, in the art world is at some point you kind of want to be able to be identified, yeah. um, you know, because even now, if you look, if you look back at the great masters or, or who's popular um, or, who, or who did well commercially, a lot of the, the artwork, you know, undoubtedly you can tell, Oh, that's a Miro or that's a Picasso or that's a Van Gogh or, you know, th that kind of thing. And not that I'm like that, but I think, from my art background, I thought if if, if you're going to have a go at, at doing this for a living, then I, it absolutely helps to 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 do um, something that you know other people might not necessarily be doing. Yeah. Which again, you know, kind of goes back to that inventor or rebel thing, or you know, in, the incorporation of type. Um, because I, I remember early on there were people, you know, or like um agents or gallery owners who said you know why do you put the type in there it makes it look like a poster you know it's cheap i can just buy a poster and so obviously that person didn't get it yeah, yeah. um they did come back later and they wanted to sell it <laughs> <laughs> um, um how do you think your style has it you know what what's your feeling on your style has it changed has it matured what, um yeah i mean different? that's an interesting question i don't know how esoteric you want me to get because um, you know, I could talk in that particular aspect for hours, but overall, you know, one of the things that I learned when I was at Art Center, um, which was the school I went to in Pasadena, which a lot of, you know, I studied um, advertising art and transportation as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that one lesson that always stuck with me is how much can you remove from something and still communicate? Because at that point, if, if I remove you know, if I remove information, but I'm still able to bring my point across, then I involve you, the viewer, because you're kind of finishing, um, you know, maybe I don't, if I don't connect all the dots in your mind, subconsciously, you do that for me. And so you get involved okay. yeah. in, 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 in my compositions. So, um, but then obviously you can get too far. If you've removed too much, you don't communicate at all. Yeah. And so there has to be a balance between those two. And so one of the things that I'm constantly struggling or striving to do is to, to try to simplify as much as I can, but still stay true to what I'm trying to communicate. Um, so I think early on, if you look at my very early work, I think it, it, it looks, I, I mean, you know, I, I can't stand it personally, <laughs> um, but it looks very raw in a way, yeah. you know? And um, it's just not as refined. Um, it's still mine, obviously. It's yeah. it's it's the way you know the way I look at it. It's a bit like if you if you were Dr. Porsche and you compare a three fifty six to a nine eighteen. You know, it's it's just it's to my mind, it's 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 all the information I had, and it's as good as I could do it at the time. And that's yeah. what kind of is the same with Porsches. Mm -hmm. You know, in nineteen sixty five, that's as good as they could do it. And that's what you're sampling at that moment. And if you look at it from 1996, that's as good as they could do it then. It doesn't mean that one of them is inherently worse than the other one mm -hmm. because you can't really compare across decades, so to speak. But I think, um, so in a way, that's kind of how I view my, my painting. So my evolution nowadays, um, I still try to, to um you know, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, I mean, again, you know, I could explain it more in technical terms, but basically what it comes down to is almost kind of like you have, uh, you have to have the courage to be, 
as free as possible because it's it's very easy to give to give more information that is needed. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you communicate, and obviously, I'm a perfect example because speaking is not my forte, and I use way too many words to get sometimes nothing across. And so, when when it comes to the arts, I think, or in my case, painting, uh, my I try to 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 be able to give you you know, exactly what something looked like or without, you know, giving, without connecting all the dots, all the lines. So I think in terms of evolution, that's something I'm still working towards. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's more elements, but I think that's one of them that, that, that occupies my mind when anytime I sketch these days. I don't know if that answers your question or not. But. It does, it does. Yeah, no, great. To be honest with you, absolutely awesome on that. Absolutely awesome. Um, it, it'd be great to know kind of numbers, really, if possible. I mean, like you, your your work is kind of, I think, fair to say, like deep rooted within like that motorsport kind of sphere. There's is a heavily influence of Porsche there, but you don't just do Porsche. So maybe in like percentage terms, how how much or how many of your pieces? Yeah, are kind that's of a good question. Oriented? Yeah, I mean, you know, to be fair. Um, I'm not necessarily, I mean, you know, we have Porsches, I have some cars, uh, but, you know, I race a Lotus. Um, my, my, my father always had Alphas. Um, there are many other cars that I like. Um, you know, I think my next car is going to be a Peugeot 106 Rally. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, but, um, you know, even with, 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 the, with the, all the merchandise we've done and the t-shirts and all that stuff, you know the reason Porsche is so why there's a heavy have, heavy focus on the Porsches. It's just it's really that's kind of you know to use a, a business school parlance that's a pull. That's not so much a push because we I have done you know Mercedes and Alfa Romeos and Corvettes and all this kind of stuff, but it just doesn't sell as well. You know there's not you don't get the same response as with Porsche. Porsche, as you know, Porsche is, is there, I mean, the Porsche market, you know, is this like, like, if you want to take it, it's a huge universe, but even within this universe, you have all these satellites and little moons. So, yeah. you know, like you have the, the air cooled guys and you have the 56 guys and then you have the push rock guys and you have the four cam guys and you have the R group guys and you have the outlaw guys and you have the racers and you have the 996 guys, the fried egg guys, and you have the four wheel guys and you have the transaxle guys. I mean, all these, all these people are a different club. You know, because if you say I'm a Ferrari fan, I doubt you could even come up with three or four different little clubs. I mean, a lot of times it's, you know, before Enzo, after Enzo, or even chassis numbers, odd chassis numbers, right? So you have race cars or street cars. Yeah. But you you don't get into these little cliques and clubs, you know. I mean, here in in California, you know, we have the R group. And then you have these guys who are running around on on slammed 964s with old BBS star wheels. I didn't even know that was a thing, but <laughs> evidently it is, you know, and then you, and then you have the rare wealth guys and then you have, you know, and then the long hood guys and then the short good height and then the <laughs> IROC guys. I mean, you know, it goes on and on and on. Oh, so, yeah. it, so it's very interesting how in the Porsche market, you have all these almost kind of sub markets. And so it just kind of keeps going and going and going, you know, I didn't even mention the RS, you know? And so, um, so yeah, so so I think part of the reason why it's focused on on Porsches is just because the demand for it is just yeah. so much bigger, and 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 also a lot of people, you know, even though maybe they were not known as Porsche drivers, 
they did drive Porsches. So, you know, Sterling Moss, he drove Porsches. You know, he drove Formula yeah. 2, he drove the 550. Jackie Stewart's very first race was in a Porsche. That was his first race car, it was a 56. Um, and so you have all these different, you know, even Formula One drivers who just did one ride at Le Mans in a Porsche, you know. So it's it just seems that a lot of somehow there's just a gravitation, you know, that everyone ends up. It's especially to my mind, the collector market in the Porsche world is, is huge compared to some other brands where you you think, you know, not I love BMWs, but to be fair, BMWs they have three and a half collectible cars. Right, you have an E30 M3, you have an E9 Batmobile, and then you have to go to the 328 pre war and the M1. Okay, and the 2002, not in terms of value, but maybe in popularity of people have, but that's four and a half cars, right? So, and that's a huge brand. So, you think, okay. There, there. Obviously, something else is going on with Porsche. Which look at. I mean, I mean, you're the experts. If you look at your magazine and your podcast, how many Porsche magazines are there? Mm-hmm. Purely about Porsches. You couldn't. You know that you don't have the same. You know. I mean, within reason, there's not not, not nearly as many. I mean, perhaps combined, all all the Porsche magazines. Are probably equal to all the other magazines. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> it's a crowded newsstand. That's for sure. Yeah, um, but I, I think that relates really nicely back to what you were saying earlier, Nick. Whereby, like, the, this kind of Porsche melting pot, and it's like that Porsche sphere just attracts so many different people from all walks of life, which is is kind of what makes it what it is, and what what makes it kind of so special. Really, that there are it, it's it's one brand but it seems to incorporate so many people that have this kind of intense passion. It's not a kind of a, th- a fleeting enthusiasm for a lot of people. You know, there, there are people that go to these events every weekend, all year round and et cetera, et cetera. So it, it does make it a pretty good kind of, I don't know, playground in, in many ways, but but certainly a platform in which to to um, harness these friendships, experiences that you mentioned, but, you know, also as as well, kind of there are lots of businesses that spring from that. Right. Yeah, I agree totally. Because even, you know, again, I don't have anything against Ferrari and I've been to Ferrari events, I've painted Ferraris, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a Ferrari guy, you know, I mean, I would love a Ferrari Dino, you know, a 246 for sure. But, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't drink wine. I don't like cheese. And <laughs> I don't want to dress in red all day long. So, but in a weird way, that's pretty much where you end up with these. No, again, I'm not, no offense. You know, they, they, they put on very, very nice events, but you kind of get the same type of person. And I don't think that you can necessarily find yourself like all these people that you mentioned, not everybody has a way of finding themselves in that universe. Whereas in the Porsche world, you can find yourself if you're, you know, even just from socioeconomic backgrounds, or if it's, you know, how much you want to do yourself, or if you want to work on 912s, or if, if, if you're a home mechanic, or if you're not, if, or if you're not, if you can, you know, you can have all the experiences, you can have the, the, you know, the, the, the Corsa Clienti program where you can buy yourself an RSR and fly in and have your 18 wheeler and drive around very slowly. That exists as well. But I think, um, I think what's unique about Porsche, like you mentioned, is that that whoever whoever you are, I think you will find a home 
in the Absolutely. Porsche universe, you know, with your that that might align with your interests and and people who are, um, you know, like minded like you. And also the other thing I think that is interesting, um, Porsche has always been about the modifications from very very early on, and Porsche themselves would sell you kits to modify. You know, the only other brand I can think of is maybe like Abarth that would sell you like a kit where you you, you kind of go racing with it. Yeah, but. And 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 also the the mod not not I mean that was on the racing side, but also the modification and making it your own, on on a personal level, um, was always a big element of the Porsche car, and the owner experience. Whereas, you know, I think in most other car um, cultures, like let's say Mercedes, stock rules, right? Yeah. There are two Mercedes cars that people know is the Road de Sao. Okay, that's not a stock car, right? That's the rally car. Yeah. Um, and you know, I can't even name the other. And maybe, what's oh, maybe you know the, the uh, maybe the the Uli Rach, What was his name? The 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 race manager who had the coupe with with the the SLR coupe that that just sold for I don't know 150 oh, million or something. Yeah. Right. That's a yeah. one-off car. But everything else is basically you live in a stock world, right? Where the value and the interest comes from making it exactly like Porsche, like like VW, uh, sorry, like Mercedes did back in the day. No matter what you have. Yeah. If you have a wagon, if you have an a Velvet Hammer AMG 500 e if you have it doesn't matter. The point of of your ownership experience kind of goes back to making it exactly like they did. And Porsche has almost to, and so so the outlaw or the the person who 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 modifies their car, his isn't. There's never really been a place for him, um, or 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 her, um, you know. And when there is a place for them, it's kind of in Mercedes fashion, very organized. You know, there's AMG, and this is how we do it. And now yeah. Mercedes owns AMG, so you can even argue, you know, how far it goes nowadays. Yeah. But to my point, is Porsche was always kind of. Um, everybody, you know, especially you know, in America, ownership experience with the Porsche parades and driving your car there, and 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 you could see how different people um, modified their cars. And you know, part of my my job, uh, as I consider it, is to I read a lot of old car magazines just for research purposes. And I came across an interview um, that they did with Dr. Porsche. And I think it was like nineteen. 58 for one of the Porsche parades and they asked him you know does it bother you that all these people modify their Porsches and he said no I think it's wonderful because in his mind it was a way to connect with the car and I think that was always built into the brand and even to this day I mean you know it's a little bit more limited with tech equipment um, I don't know what it's called what the program's called these days and even you know the paint the sample to some extent um, I mean, obviously, you don't have as much choice anymore. But even if you think about all the different car um, accessories that existed in the 60s, 70s, and 80s to make your car different, you know, all the different tuners they had, you know, between DP and you made, you know, flat nose cars and slant nose and, you know, the grills and Gembala and Koenig, I mean, and roof, you know, I mean, all this kind of, again, it's just such a unique thing that you just don't see in other car brands, you know, I mean, if if I go up to a BMW guy, I I, I don't think he could name more than two or three tuners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with Porsche, you we would be here for a while. Yeah, you know, to finish that <laughs> yeah, list. Yeah, the list is so long. again, you know, it's it's not I don't it's not I don't mean that in a bad way of saying it's just a different 
it's just a very, very different world. And I think um, that's why it, it resonates with people. Yeah. And, you know, and, and another thing, if you don't mind, I'm a bit long-winded, but it's something that I um, said on a different podcast once, but I think it's a good point. So I'll repeat it okay. in a way, you know, when you're born, you're born with a certain DNA and we all try to do our best with what we were given at birth. That's kind of, you know, life, right? And some people are born with more, some people with less, but in a perfect world, we try to, to, to find happiness with what we were given. And in a weird way, that's how, that's how Porsche started. They were giving this engine that made 36 horsepower. It was in the wrong place. They had big round lights in the front. And so out of this came, came a car, right? They tried to make something with it and that was stuck in their DNA. And so you have this longevity that kind of goes from one generation to the next. So you can draw a straight line from the very, very first car or production car, not the very first, you know, not Porsche 001, since it was mid-engine, but let's say from the, the 356 in Gmünd all the way to the 911, we're kind of still in a way, still kind of doing the same thing, you know? Yeah. And if you look at like McLaren, again, I've worked with McLaren, I've driven the P1, I have nothing against McLaren, but to me, that car doesn't have as much soul because that was a clean sheet design. So of course you're not going to put the engine in the wrong place. You're not going to be, you're not going to uh, feel a pressure towards your own history and heritage to stay with air cooled for so long or, you know, but in a way to me, that's kind of a metaphor for how Porsche um, made the best with what they were given at that time. And it was always part of their DNA and continues to this day. Well, now I think, Again, you know, I don't really care anymore, but uh, I think it's being diluted, you know, because to my mind, they're building Audis now. Everything is four-wheel drive and a turbo. So um, so that's why I just don't have, I have absolutely no interest in the modern cars. I don't think I've driven anything past a 991, maybe, mm-hmm. or 99, or maybe, a, yeah, I think the 991. I think that's the last Porsche I, where I felt, because now if, if, if you... If you hand me the keys to a 992 GT3, to me, it's not that much different if I drove a Ferrari Pista or if I drove a, you know, it's going to have a paddle shifter. It's going to have traction control. It's going to have all kinds of, you know, buttons and all this kind of stuff. There's nothing inherently that much different. But the old Porsches to me always had that character where, you know, the keys on this side and that and the way you started, you know, it was just always a little bit different. And I think that to me also was kind of gave it character and made Porsche more unique than other brands. Cool. So. Which, um, which type of uh, Porsche guy are you then? So, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, now that, now that I slacked over all the other ones, right? Yeah. Yeah. What have, uh, you, got, what have you got in the garage? What's, uh, what does, well, I have what tickles your fancy? I have a 68 T sports purposes um, that has, I think we've done about a hundred thousand kilometers on it. I'm not sure how many times it's gone around, um, it's on, that? we've had this car for 15 16 years i oh, think okay. i bought it for eight thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> excellent and then i have a um you know i've had boxers before but got rid of that um i had a uh what else oh right now we're building up a nine six uh, a 69 t sports purpose again kind of um and then i have the gt3 um so it's a 996 gt3 Sorry, I'd be more specific since I can here. 9962 GT3 uh, North American version 
that I'm backdating to a 1999 GT3 1R for the street. Yes. That is cool. That's, wow. Yeah. So that's, and since I like to make, well, I shouldn't say I like to make things difficult for myself, <laughs> which my wife would agree with, but since I don't have money or that kind of money, I'm doing the whole, that particular uh, um, project is doing, is all being done in exchange for my artwork. So I, ah, you know, so the yeah. it, initially the, the donor car, which in my case, the donor was a 2004 GT3. Uh, I traded that for two paintings. And then um, since then, you know, if, if we re-geared the gearbox, so new ring and pinion, all new gears, all new um, uh, shells, um, you know, guard, guard differential, the whole thing. So I traded that for artwork. Um, we put E88 motorsports wheels on it, you know, so all these elements of the car are being done in exchange against my artwork. And if it's, if I can't trade with someone who, who has the parts or the skills or whatever I need, then the way we do it is, um, like, uh, you know, you have a client who, as opposed to me, like if I do a commission for a painting, I don't get paid. He pays the bill to BBS, for instance. Yes. Yes. So that's yeah. way. That's so. That's how that car is coming about. That is cool, man. That's seriously. So cool, eventually, yeah. my my goal is to build a car that Porsche never built, which is an, a nine nine six GT three R, as it first ran at Le Mans. So it's a narrow body GT three, the first nine nine six race car. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and will that be a, a track car, Nick, or, or something? No, I think road? I'm just going to be a street car. I mean, I've had it on track, in, and you know, I mean, anyone who's had cars on track will tell you the same thing or racers at the end of the day, there really is no good compromise because if you can still yeah. drive it on the street, it's always going to be too slow and too soft on the track. Yeah. And if, 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 if you're, if you're doing, if you have a decent track car, it's going to be absolutely miserable on the, on the street. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but, but to be fair, to be fair, I think the early 911, so anything up to maybe like a 73, 74 ish, are to me are still the only cars that after you step out of a race car, you can step in one of those cars and it doesn't feel like you're, 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 you're in a parade float or, <laughs> um, I mean, one experience I had, I was at Laguna and was driving a, you know, a formula car for 200 miles. And then I got into my Boxster and I was so disappointed <laughs> because on the drive up, I thought, Oh, you know, you're driving a Boxster to, to Monterey. It can't be that bad. And once you get back in the car, I really felt I was driving a, a sofa with wheels, you know, the, the, oh my God. And, but the, but the only time I don't have that feeling is if I get, you know, if you race and you get into a sixties, nine eleven, you know, in those days, the difference between race car, street car wasn't that big yet. Yeah. And, drove, and, and, you know, yeah, go ahead. I drove a 70 um, ST um, yep. on Sunday and uh, yeah, my ears were ringing for about four <laughs> hours afterwards. <laughs> Every was sense a, was tingling. It was amazing. Did you have a two five short stroke? Uh two point four. Yeah, short two four stroke. short stroke. That yeah. is my, the short stroke. Yeah, two five two three. That's my favorite. Yeah, or early nine six hundred nine eleven inch because that's like a buzz saw. Yes, yeah. incredible, yeah. absolutely yeah. incredible, crazy yeah. little thing. Yeah, but yeah. So so the early cars in a way you don't have that big you know because I mean in the early days they actually drove the the race cars to Le Mans. The transporter, yeah. the Porsche transporter in the 50s and 60s held three cars. They would bring four cars. 
So you would drive an, an RSK or a 550 Spider. You would absolutely drive that to Le Mans yeah. on the road. Yeah, yeah. No question. Definitely. Um, what's the um, the exterior of the 996 going to be like? Is that going to um, have uh, some art on it, or is it? Uh... No. <laughs> you know, in a weird way, I'm still kind of mulling it over. I, I I released a couple of sketches. I can send them to you. So um, uh, every panel will de- will be touched because I'm putting in a center fill fuel tank functional that's going to go through the hood, and I'm put I'm, we're going to put in a, um, a, a hundred liter tank from a cup from a cup car from a 996 cup car. Um, which I didn't even know. I mean, I discovered this, I guess most people knew this. I was surprised up until the 996 and 997 cups, they still didn't have a fuel cell, <laughs> which I thought, yeah, that was my reaction too. I'm, so, yeah. So you can now, so you could actually put a, a cup fuel cell, uh, sorry, a cup fuel tank in your 996. You're going to have to change your um um the gauge but we we found i have a, a mate of mine knows how to um knows how to, how to recalibrate the gauge so it'll work um again i don't know how that works in the uk with mot and all that stuff so i am <laughs> you know again please don't do this at home but <laughs> we're we live in the wild west here so um I think you know um, we have slightly different rules for us. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna have a bigger tank because um, in the US all the GT3s came with small tanks, um, which was I don't remember exactly what the reason was, but that's just how it was. Yeah. And oh, the exterior. So it's gonna be it's gonna stay narrow. Yeah. Um, I will have the the um, the early um, fenders, so it has that tiny little lip underneath the the headlights. That is part of the bumper, yeah, or the fender. Sorry, not the bumper. And I'm gonna run the the original um, headlights that they re- that they had on the race car. So on the inside, you still have the ballast resistor, and you have to first either. I mean, in those days, even '99 and 2000, you could actually choose between. I think they had the first HIDs, or you could have the big headlight, which actually came out of a Ford. And the Ford headlight was in the RSRs all the way up to the 997 at Le Mans. They still ran a little Ford. Ford, oh, wow. I think it came out of a Ford Fiesta, but the European one. Yeah. <laughs> the old, old Ford Fiesta. Yeah, yeah. Mad. And then, yeah, it's it's really weird. And then, the, you know, and then I did a lot of, um, you know, like one thing I did, I don't know how much you want me to get into this, but one thing I did, I, I rebuilt the entire windshield wiper system so i have and now have a center mount a true center mount windshield wiper um which at, at first i thought how hard how hard can it be because the cup cars only run one wiper but as it turns out they cheat because the center the center wiper on on all the cars is not in the center line of the car it's about two inches off center and on the on the a right-hand drive car, it's two inches off center to the other side. So the first thing I had to do, I had to relocate the center um, windshield wiper, the, the one that I'm going to use for the single to the towards the center. And then now all bets are off because once you move one thing, you have to move everything. So I had to redo <laughs> all the math for each arm. So I ended up making my own pivot arms for and each bracket. So I have a full 180 degree sweep because the cup cars don't even have a 180 degree sweep, you you index the, the wiper. So the way you have it, you obviously index it towards the driver's side. So you have, yeah, you know, all the driver's side, but then it kind of stops 
yeah, yeah. basically right in the in the center of the passenger side view, doesn't and that's where it rests. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. You don't have two people, but so I'm I'm so now the way it 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 it's finished now because you know I I made my own arms and had to weld everything and um and and I machined you know I ended up making my own arms out of um al- uh what did we use aluminium or magnesium uh, aluminium because it's lighter um and I have now a full 180 degree sweep and I used a, a, a wiper arm from the GT1 Le Mans car <laughs> and um I also used the the you know it has the little nozzles for the windshield yeah. wiper for the uh, what do you call it the sprayer is attached to the wiper arm itself which is a system that the GT1 race cars had and those are actually Mercedes parts it came of a Mercedes bus and I think Iveco you know the Iveco buses yeah, yeah. they they use those little nozzles it's actually a um I think it's a it's a it has a Hella um, parts number or Bosch parts number on it yeah. but yeah. that's you know that's how they did it so I used the same parts because I found them in a GT1 parts wow. work and so then you're going um, into some serious detail on this car <laughs> yeah well actually yeah, great yeah. trivia great trivia um, and one thing um is uh, you know the cowl that has on the regular GT3 you have or on Alien 996, you have two holes in a cowl for the yeah. because you have two windshield wiper arms. But now I only need one one hole because I don't need the other hole. Sure. So I ended up um, getting a, a a left hand drive cowl and a right hand drive cowl. I cut them in half, I fused them, and then I had to learn uh, chemistry because the plastics <laughs> they use you can't glue those plastics because they're um, I forgot the name of it now. It's 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 a it's a type of plastic that uh, not just Porsche, most car manufacturers use, that has a very oily um, substance. Yeah, so yeah. if you use any kind of glue, it won't stick to them. So you end up having to fuse it. So you need to use um, catalysts, <laughs> and um, you know, so you do a little bit of uh, just trying to figure this out. So and so in the end, basically, what I did was I have I now have a cowl with one center hole for my windshield wiper arm. Fantastic. So there is no other hole. Um, and also, I don't. I, I removed the holes for the the jets for the windshield wipe uh, for the sprayers. Yeah. So again, so I guess you know, I, I should go back um, to you know m- my idea for the project was that I would build a car that, like I said, Porsche never built it. So it's the nine nine six GT three R that w- that would slot between um, a MK one nine nine six GT three and a mk2996 gt3 rs yeah but the r to my mind should be a harder car than an rs mm-hmm. because if you drove an original r it is a rattle box yeah yeah yeah. i mean you know compared to even an rs which is even i mean the lightweight cars are, are kind of rattle boxes too but yeah. just a regular rs is it's actually quite a docile car but a, an original r is a loud loud car so to my mind the a gt3 r should be harder than an rs so i thought okay let's build this car and to my mind i'm going to build it exactly as if porsche had built it and then they looked at it and then they said we can't sell this (laughs) and that's when they came out with the rs (laughs) so this is going to be the one car that you know that is kind of missing in, in between the stages because the mk1 is a fantastic the, the, like you know the gt mk1 gt3 is a great car right so best steering throttle response everything um 
But to my mind, the 996 GT3 RS always felt a bit soft. It got a little bit harder with the 997 RS. I think the RS1, I don't care for. The, sorry, the 9971 RS, I don't care for because the shifter is useless. The 9972 RS, to me, is better than the one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, obviously, it was you have to 3.8. But anyway, so I'm, I'm building a 1999 GT3 R streetcar. Excellent. And there's a website so, for that car, isn't there? Yes, it's uh, called hunsikerartcar.com. So it's just my name and art car. And if you want to get involved, I will trade you. <laughs> Even for smaller things, you know, because I have, I have, you know, not everything is, it has to be a five figure or, you know, thing. So it could be if you have a couple hundred bucks and you want to get a poster or a print or something and be part of it, I will trade you and I will, you know, will, you know, there's lots of little things I'm doing to the car, interior, exterior, because I'm going for an OEM look. So, yeah. That's cool. so awesome. That's so awesome. That it'd be great to um, because again, like you, you know what you're saying there, and I love the idea of that project. You're also keen to get involved in other kind of projects again that kind of fuse your passion and your talents. Uh, one of which, again, uh, we mentioned at the top of the pod, is coming up this weekend as we record it. By the time the podcast um is is published, the weekend would have just gone, um, and that's of course uh, the car and motorcycle, the Stephen Queen car and motorcycle show, uh, raising funds for Boys Republic and your involvement with that over a number of years. Yes, so I, um, I think it was you know Freeman Thomas is a buddy of mine. You know he designed the Audi TT and he was at Porsche and he did some work for Roof. Um, then he, uh, you know, he was. Uh, he was head of, I think, advanced design of global. He was a global design chief at Ford before he retired. So anyway, we're, we're friends um, from the art group as well. And so he pulled me in, I want to say maybe 12 years ago to, to, to be part of the car show. And I've done the event artwork every year. And so the car show is, um, you know, as it implies, it's a car show and it has a theme every year. Um, and every year they pick a different Steve McQueen movie. So it's, you know, Le Mans, or it could be Escape or The Great Escape, or it could be the Thomas Crown Affair, you know. Yeah. And so they kind of, the whole theme of, you know, the, the, the setup and the activities are based around the movie. And the reason why Steve McQueen um, why this started in the first place is because Steve McQueen went to this particular school. So the Boys Republic, it's a preparatory school for um, boys and girls um, who at one point perhaps, you know, uh, came off the the regular path. And so this is really a, um, it's, it's a place that uh, kind of, you know, hopefully puts you on a, on a, on a, on a better path path than you were on. And Steve McQueen, uh, he always said that the boys Republic saved his life. So, so, so all the, ben- so the benefits for the, for, for, for the car show that um, all the money that we raised to the car show goes to the school. And over the years, Fantastic. again, I don't know what the number is. It's, I know it's in the millions of, 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 of dollars that we've raised. Wow. Um, and so they've, they've built, you know, like a commercial kitchen. So they've, they've been able to, to, to teach, like a, not a, I don't want to call it a craft, but you know, if you can give somebody experience so they could get a first job somewhere working in a kitchen, you've done this uh, previously, that helps. So one of the things that uh, I know the school was able to do was build themselves a commercial kitchen. Um, you know, they renovated, I know they did a lot of renovations, the dorms, and they have um, 
So, um, yeah, so over the years, we've raised a lot of money for the school. And so um, every year um, I do an original painting um, and then they auction it off at their at their dinner. They have a dinner on um, this today. This year, I think the dinner is on Friday night and then the, the car show is on Saturday. Um, and so all the proceeds go to the school. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a good cause. Um, you know, I'm not. I mean, socioeconomically, I'm perhaps not exactly in the same background as a lot of these uh, kids who benefit from it. But I think spiritually, uh, we all struggle with certain things, um, and so I think it's 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 obviously it's it's I think it's a good good cause and a yeah, good way to to give back. Um, yeah. Which which film is it this year? This year we are doing. I should know this because I did the painting. It's um, on any Sunday. So that's the motorcycle one where oh, cool. uh, Steve Ennert, uh, I did a painting of him as Harvey Mushman because he used to enter motorcycle races, motocross races uh, under a pseudonym. Uh-huh, so he yeah. was Harvey Mushman. Brilliant. Um, he was actually, I mean, as you know, he was a quite quite a good motorcyclist um, and, and driver as well. So yeah, yeah. Um, And then through him, I got to know Chad a little bit as well, um, who's, uh, as he ages, and I hope he doesn't, I know he doesn't mind me saying this. He, he looks more and more like his dad <laughs> and, and Chad's a, Chad's a real car guy too. He's very, very knowledgeable. Um, and he still owns some of his car, some of his dad's cars. He still owns the, the black speedster, the 356 speedster, which was the first uh, Porsche that Stephen Queen bought when he had money. Again, you know, that's kind of interesting. He had all the money in the world. That's the first, real paycheck he had and the first thing he did was buy himself a Porsche, Porsche yeah. before he bought anything else yeah and then he still has his slate gray um 69 911 the infamous the s yeah well actually no it's i mean that's it that, that you say it, infamous there's two of them right the 71 the 70 model is the one that was in the film Ah, right. and, okay yeah yeah, yeah. and so sold, yeah. yeah that's the one that was sold and the 69 is the one that he kept and uh, Chad told me that after the film um, was over, after Le Mans filming was done, you know, he shipped the car to the United States and um, he realized he had the same car twice because he has, a, <laughs> he has two Slate Grace 911 S's. <laughs> and I think, and then he sold the 70, um, I think, I mean, it was even like a silly reason. Um, I think the, the 69 was a bit more fun to drive because they had shorter gears and a limited slip. Whereas I think the 70 had the regular gearbox. Yeah. And so he sold the 70 and obviously the 70 is gone, um, but he never really owned the, I mean, I should say he never really owned, he did own the 70. He drove it on the movie set, but at home he drove the 69 and it still has about 50, some 50,000 original miles on it. Um, it was given to, um, I mean, Chad's sister had it first, and then Terry, when she died of cancer, um, unfortunately, then Chad got it. And he still exercises the car, you know, washes it himself. If you open the glove box, you will still find handwritten notes about the car from his dad. Um, so, yeah, it's quite a, quite a special car. I, I want to say it's maybe 85% original paint. So it still has the you know the 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 skirts in the back that you know the first thing that always falls off and gets dented on around the exhaust um yeah it's a supercar um chad let me drive it once and at the time he told me i was the only non-mcqueen to have ever driven that car wow wow yeah (laughs) 
that's serious. Yeah, serious, it, it yeah. was. I w- I w- to be fair, it, that's, that was weird. Actually, that was the only time when I was a little bit where I felt, you know what, we should bring this back in one piece. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For some what? reason, I don't really have that feeling when I drive the other things yeah. because I don't know why. It just doesn't enter your mind, you know, when you when you yeah, get yeah, into a car and you that. start driving, you just yeah. focus on driving. But when we drove that car, it's the one time I felt like, you know what, let's go back, let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to be the one. I don't want to be the, you know, the one who puts a dent in this. <laughs> I, I, I want to use uh, that Le Mans theme uh, loosely there that we were d- discussing, uh, Nick, because uh, this year we've obviously got um, Le Mans being a the theme for uh, Monterey Historics. And I think it'd be prudent to talk about your uh, series of pieces um, here for that, with obviously each of those pieces depicting the 19 wins from Porsche at Le Mans. Uh, which are thematic based on the culture of the time. So really kind of interesting twists there on, on, on the pieces, I feel. Right. I mean, that was an interesting um, commission that I did um, where I was, yeah, I was basically commissioned to paint every overall Le Mans victory. Um, and um, like you said, it was... Um, you know, anytime I do a painting, I, I try to, you know, because I incorporate type in my paintings and sometimes, you know, the background or the racetrack, obviously Le Mans is a given. So um, my use of type, for instance, um, one thing I always do in my paintings, I always try to like, you know, in, in restoration terms, you have this term called period, excuse me, you have this term called period correct. So when you when you say you're doing a car a certain way, you won't use uh, parts that didn't exist um, or don't belong to that car. Yeah. And in 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 a weird or not in a weird way, but I kind of use that same concept when I do my paintings. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if I do a painting of 1968, I will pick a typeface from maybe like 1966 or 1967 yeah. because. I imagine, okay, if I had designed this in 1968, I would have been influenced by whatever was going on. But you can't pick 1968 because there's always a bit of a gap by the time, you know, everything that happens in culturally, by the time that trickles into your mind and into the subconscious and comes out of you again. So, for instance, if you watch a movie, a period piece, and it's 1983, you don't want to put all cars from 1983 in there. Yeah. Because that's not the reality. We don't go outside and every car is a 2022. Sure. You have yeah. cars, you know, that are five, 10 years old. So I kind of do the same thing with my type or, you know, with, with the, the, the um, kind of the design cues and the colors that you get. So if you look at, you know, in this particular case uh, with, the, with the Porsche paintings, you, you know, it goes from the 1970s to the 80s, 1990s, 2000s. So 1970s, you kind of have the psychedelic hippie culture rock and roll right that was kind of part of of the zeitgeist or of, of, that was on people's minds and so that's why you have those type of colors those type of type treatments um that were part of 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 you know maybe not consciously but that was part of the the, the subconscious and then if you get into the 1980s and you look at the paintings um, where Porsche won in the 1980s, you start to see the ad- advent of computers, you know? So you start to see the first computer type. You see, you know, you have the disco was a thing, you know, the Tron movie, 
the A-Team TV show, all these kind of things are kind of yeah. part of, of the culture at the time. You get into the na- 1990s. Now, you know, what happened in 1990 in the uh, cultural landscape? You have MTV, Seattle grunge music, hip-hop, Microsoft. You have the return of this modernist, you know, design where you have packaging that kind of looks like fake minimalism with, with color blocking. And, and so if you look at these things, if you look at the paintings from that era, I'm trying to incorporate that. So as you as you look at them from you know from 1970 to um, to the 2000s, you kind of see an evolution, a cultural evolution. So you know, just for instance, if you look at the, I mean, I don't know, if you look at the 1981 painting, you know, it has a kind of a, a matrix, the matrix dot. You know, remember that that printer that made all the racket, the noise. <laughs> yeah. But th- that that's kind of what was what was happening at the time, you know. And '82 is very angular because of the Tron movie. '83 taps into disco culture. '84 has an A-team feel, you know. '96 right. feels like MTV grunge, where you know all the type had to be distressed. Yeah. Um, and if you if you look at the 1997 painting, it, you know, in the back of my mind, it had like the the Microsoft Windows packaging, you know, that was kind of everywhere on buses and. And 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 bench, you know, like the bus shelter, the 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 the, the bus, the posters, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you know, one of one of the pieces is is um, is perhaps least Porsche like, and that's the one from um, that's the one when Dower won with the nine six two, because in a way that wasn't necessarily. I mean, it was a Porsche. It was a loophole car, right? It was a, it was a street legal car that they made back into a race car. So, in in my mind, you know, it's it's kind of um, it, it's it, it it should feel least like all the other ones, in a weird way. You know, it's kind of a, and then once you get into the two thousands, um, you kind of get into this corporate world where now we Porsche introduced an actual typeface that they use to this day. And now everything kind of starts looking more the same, right? Which is, um, it, it, the, the font is actually called News Gothic for Porsche. And in 98, they introduced it for the first time. And you will also notice that the Porsche script is different. In 98, that was the first time they um, started using, um, um, sorry, and in, 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 you know, like the, the old Porsche font was a little bit more more narrow, yeah. And the newer Porsche font is a little bit taller. So in 1990, somebody at Porsche decided that um, the the Porsche script should be taller and less extended. So the last race car that had the old Porsche script, the narrow one, was yeah. on the GT1 in 1998. That was the last time they had it on a factory race car, and after that, all the cars had the had the modern uh, script. And that's why, when you look at all the paintings and you see the script on the bottom, you see that change where we go from modern Fantastic. to new. And then you see also see, you know, then Porsche started incorporating the color red again. You know, like at Le Mans when they return, they started using their corporate color, um, which actually, interestingly, I don't know if you know this, you might. You probably know, you or your listeners would know, but do you know why the reason Porsche um, was maroon? <laughs> the reason it's so silly, I mean, silly, 
it makes completely sense. It made sense is when they first made the brochure. So we're talking right after the war, 48, 49, 50, red dye was the only one that was available. So they went down to the printers and the only thing that they had was a red cardstock. <laughs> there was, you couldn't pick green, blue, yellow, just after the war in Germany, BASF was taken over. So, you know, they became, you know, what used to be Farben, you know, which unfortunately one of the products they also did was, you know, the Faber-Castell thing where they made fertilizer, which led to making bombs. So the last thing, you know, the Allies did was give Germans more chemicals. So naturally they were in short supply. So, but red dye is, 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 is much easier to make than blue, for instance, because in nature you find red everywhere. You know, iron is red, red dirt. It's very, very few things that you can take and just get blue. Mm. right indigo yeah, is yeah. is yeah so um and, and part of, of of the success of 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 the german you know they were the first of, of basf and farben was was that they were able to make indigo which is a synthetic blue color where you could have blue jeans and all this kind of stuff but anyway so the reason why porsche is maroon and to this day the porsche letters on every porsche dealership are red is because it started out as they went down to the local printer got themselves wow. some paper and the only thing they had was red that's so cool. I did not Amazing. know that. And at the time, the color was called the uh, HKS, HKS-17. That was kind of the German color system. So, and, you know, like the VW buses that were maroon with the Porsche script on it, all that stuff, the, the transporter, everything was always that same color. And it all stemmed from, 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 the, yeah, from, from that printer having red cardstock. Wow. Anyway, so if you look at now, you, you go all the way back to, to if you look at these paintings and you look at the last ones and you see, you know, Porsche starts to actually use red again when, when they go racing. And yeah. that's just kind of, again, you know, just a little thing that you don't need to know if you uh, view it as a casual viewer. But I think if you're interested in it, and if you're interested in it, I think um, it makes it more um uh, I think it makes it more involving as a viewer to know yeah. these little things, you know, to awesome. me, that's a little bit like the, the Nike 90, the 1% rule that Nike did, you know, they, 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 in a, in a weird way, Nike, in, in, when they did their good advertising, they always spoke to 1% of their audience because they figured if those, for, for those guys who are going to get it, they're going to love us. Everyone else, if they get it or not. So if you can satisfy the 1% who are really hardcore fans, um, you know, the rest will follow because if you, if you try to satisfy 99% of your yeah, audience, yeah. you never end up saying anything. Mm, true. Mm, Very true. Yeah, particularly from an advertising point. What I, I love yeah. about the, the paintings is if you remove the car, you can kind of get a feeling for like what kind of moment in time exactly yeah that's a very good very very good way of saying it i've actually never thought of it that way but thank you (laughs) i will use that from now on yeah you're 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 welcome (laughs) you can have that yeah it's it's super super cool you know like really that that i think is 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 probably the genius behind it you know kind of conceptually for me i think that is that is awesome i I think it's been intriguing to talk all through those and hear all the details of that and uh we should definitely put those pictures up pretty quickly um after we put the episode out so that people can look at that sure while yeah you can kind to, of follow along yeah, yeah yeah really good i mean and and to me the great thing about i mean the great one of the satisfying um uh aspects of this particular commission is that all the paintings reside in one place with one owner now oh wow and wow. um we made a deal at the time that 
um, part of the commission was that if uh, if Le Mans, if Porsche ever wins Le Mans again in perpetuity, as long as I'm alive, I will paint. He gets that painting of of the overall winner in the same That's size, great. so he can he can you know add That's to right. the collection. Oh wow! <laughs> we we hope you're going to be busy going forward. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. I mean, you know, it's the rules are kind of weird right now, but. Um, who knows? Who knows what's yeah. going to happen with overall victories at Le Mans and Porsche? That's cracking. That's absolutely cracking. Um, Nick, I think it'd be prudent to sign off by just um, being able to kind of point our listeners in uh, the direction of like your website. Maybe take a find out a little bit more about you and, and take a look at the artwork if that's talk sure. possible. Sure. Um, I mean, it's 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 quite simple. It's just my name, my first and last name dot com. So. Nicholas Nicola Hunziker, N I C O L A S H U N Z I K E R dot com. And um, you'll find, you know, the artwork. Um, there's lots of stuff we obviously didn't have time to mention. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm very long winded, um, which is part probably, um, you know, again, down to my, my uh, how my brain is wired. It's just, um, you know, just sometimes I, I get excited about certain things and I talk about them. And I kind of get lost in the weeds. Uh, no, it's so, absolutely fantastic. So, so, so to all your listeners who, who <laughs> feel like I'm a, I'm droning on, I'm, I'm terribly Not sorry, but I I've, can't I've help enjoyed it. the passion. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely enjoyed the passion. Without a doubt, lots, lots covered there, which is exactly what this podcast is all about. So, uh, Nicholas Huntsiger, fine artist extraordinaire, thanks for joining us on Nine Works Radio. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers. This episode was brought to you by our very kind Patreons. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to join them in supporting us, you can do so at patreon.com slash nineworksradio.